Just a quick note that the financial and business information you're going to hear in this episode is for informational purposes only. It is not to be relied upon to make any lending or business decisions as it does not consider your individual circumstances. So the rain started uh, late last night and it has not stopped and it's bloody awesome. (laughs) Mitch Hyatt is standing at the kitchen window looking out over one of the farms he leases and it's absolutely bucketing down outside. We run this as a cattle breeding block. This is one of our bigger leases and we breed calves here and then we move the calves on to some of our smaller blocks and fatten them out there on a bit better soils and a bit better grass. We're in Brewongal, just outside of Bathurst. We're standing on about 600 acres. This property is one of six farms that Mitch leases. It's a pity that it's not a better day because you go up to the top of that hill and you can see pretty much to Sydney, and then you can see all the way over to Orange. Um, yeah, up there, which is it's a pretty amazing spot. But yeah, oh, I'll take rain any day of the week. Yeah. A large portion of all farms in Australia are family farms, and more often than not, they're intergenerational, meaning the kids can take over the business from their parents. For Mitch, things didn't pan out that way. His dad was a pilot, and his mum worked in hospitality. And so there was no big family farm for Mitch to take over. So it was his granddad's past life on the land that really sparked his interest in farming. My pop was always telling me about his time spent on stations up north, showing me photos of his, you know, horses that he used to ride or, you know, them out bull catching and stuff like that. And I think that really just got me excited about, you know, this is something that looks so much fun and lo and behold, you get paid to do it. Mitch got his first real taste of farming as a teenager, spending time on his friends' families' properties, just helping out, getting a feel for it. The families that are there that are so welcoming, and, you know, for them, sometimes they might see you as, like, free labour, but, you know, for me, it was just, you know, it was an absolute classroom. Like, it was something that I was just soaking everything in, and, you know, at school I was an all-right student, but I wouldn't soak and sponge the kind of stuff that I'd learn when I'd be just out on a farm for a couple of hours. So... It was one of those things that I, it triggered that, you know, if I'm th- this interested and this keen in being out here on these farms, and that's something that I've at least got to explore. You know, I wasn't going to just let it pass by. Welcome to Season 3 of Propagate, a podcast devoted to young farmers and fishers. I'm Sam Lloyd, and on the last season of the show, we focused on succession planning, episodes for that large portion of farms that are passed down the family line. But this season of the podcast is for aspiring farmers who aren't taking over a family farm. Over the next eight episodes of Propagate, we're going to meet people like Mitch, farmers who are paving their own way to ownership through leasing, share farming, contracting, equity building and livestock trading. We're going to trace their farming journeys and create an audio roadmap for anyone with the same dream. We'll also be hearing from people from the business side of things, industry experts who will chip in from time to time to give their insights on the experiences and strategies of our farmers. This season, we want to show that there are many ways to achieve your dream in farming. We are suckers for a challenge. <laughs> it takes a lot of persistence and a lot of knocking on doors and planning, uh, but it's possible. We weren't lucky enough to have anybody get us on our feet and we're proud of that. I didn't have to 
take on the family farm. I've chosen to do this, I've chosen to go this way and it's a really fun, exciting ride. By the time he finished high school, Mitch was dead set on becoming a farmer. So for me, loving farming, loving everything about it, as soon as I finished uh, school, I went over to Texas um, because that's what every cowboy's dream is. Um, so I went over to Texas uh, for a couple of years and had fun over there, did Canada, Europe, and then it was time to come home and really you know, do the formal side of, of farming, which for me was really more centred around the business. So understanding what it takes to run a farm from a business sense rather than just the actual day-to-day stuff. Back in Australia, Mitch learned a lot hopping between farms. Most of the friends and connections he made were fourth and fifth generation farmers with invaluable knowledge to share. If I've got a question, I can ask them and that experience gets told to me. So instead of trialling five different ways, I can ask someone and they've tried everything and I get the benefit of that experience. Uh, Finished that and then it was time to, you know, venture out and and, um, get back to the practical side of farming again where, you know, I was doing contracting, I was managing a few different places for for certain people Um, and just, yeah, really fine-tuning those things and and being able to see what they're doing and if there was something that I thought it could be done better, then kind of jotting that down in the back of the mind. But for vast majority, all I was doing was learning what they were wanting to achieve and, um, yeah, and, and trying to see if that was, you know, replicable a way of doing things that I could do if I ever got a lease or, you know, my own farm. As Mitch gained experience and grew his skills and knowledge, a vision of his future farm started to take form. The dream farm for me really is going to be one where it has to be inclusive of both family, friends, and therefore available to people to travel from, whether it's Sydney or wherever. I think also, you know, being close to towns that have strong businesses, strong, you know, hospitals, schools, things like that are going to be really important. What I want my future farm to be is is really somewhere where everyone wants to come and visit, everyone wants to be around it. I want my, you know, future kids to love growing up there. And, and see that, you know, farming is really a business positive kind of future to be in. And I think that's not just the money that comes in, but the lifestyle that you get to enjoy. While the lifestyle is important to Mitch, it wasn't the only ingredient in the dream farm he was concocting. He also wanted to build a strategic agricultural business. So he started imagining one with versatility that was able to pivot and move as the markets did. It's not just a one trick pony. It's going to have that infrastructure that allows that to happen as well and it's got to be in a high rainfall area because I'm not going to go through the last couple of years again, hopefully. But even if we do have those strong drought scenarios, something where you know, you're know you able to build reserves, build kind of um, the ability to, to hold on when everyone else is you know getting really tight, being able to comfortably go through the tough times without you know, a huge injection of capital and huge injection of labour. When I ask Mitch how big he wants to go, he says the bigger the better. But he understands he'll probably have to start small and then scale up incrementally over time. And so, in those early years, Mitch was basically getting paid to learn, which he loved. But he was soon ready to take on more responsibility and get closer to making that dream farm of his a reality. For me, I looked at the ways of how I can operate a farm without actually having to own the farm. 
And the real ones that stuck out were an adjustment options, leasing options, and share farming options. So adjusting is really about um, the dollars per head that you can put on a property. Um, you, you pay that rate to the farm owner, but all the other costs that are involved with a farm are still that landowner's responsibility. So things like utilities, upkeep, maintenance, things like that, still at the, uh, the cost of the landowner, you are just responsible for the livestock that are on there and paying a rate per head. Leasing is much more inclusive. So for example, uh, on a lease rate, the responsibilities it would be to maintain fences as were found, maintaining pastures, paying for utilities, you also might have to look at kind of paying percentages of land rates and tax. Um, so it's it's a much more closer aligned thing to owning a farm. And share farming is really about, as it, the name implies, is sharing those responsibilities and costs with the farm owner. So you're in it together. If you make losses, you share those losses. Um, if you make gains, you share those gains. And then you equitably kind of share who's responsible for what throughout the growing season. From those, I kind of really saw leasing and gisting as my priority ones, purely because I could have the sole control of what occurred on those farms. I really enjoy leasing because that gives you the full range. You're fully responsible of the highs and lows. And, you know, it's, it's your call and only your call. So in 2016, Mitch started a company called Bullseye Ag. They provide farm management services and leasing arrangements Through Bullseye, he's been able to grow not only a strong client base, but also a network of contractors to expand his farming reach. The business operates as a sort of testing ground for Mitch, a way to explore relationships, test out new technology, and trial management practices. And the relationships he's built through the company have taught him an important lesson, and that is that people in agriculture want to see young farmers succeed. And I've been a beneficiary of that, for sure, is, is that, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to secure a lease where they were like, look, we really want to see a young farmer have a crack at this, so we're going to give you the shot. We've had five neighbours ask us to do it. We've had, you know, people from our town want to do it, but we really want to see a young person have a shot at this. So I feel very lucky that I, I, I've been able to do that, and that would only occur through me going out and saying, look, I'm after lease country, I'm after existing country and telling everyone until I was blue in the face and they were sick of me saying it so that they just found me one anyway. So I, I think you've, you've got to let people know that that's what you're doing and it is a little bit scary because you are throwing you know, some cards out there but you're not going to get it by, by telling no one. But for Mitch, he understood that while leasing does get you the experience you need to run a farm, it doesn't always do the whole job of raising the capital you need to get a loan when you're ready to buy. And a deposit for a farm usually sits at around 30 to 40% of the total purchase price. All this has led Mitch to get a bit creative with his savings. I've really been trying to get my money that I do earn either from farming or from working outside of the farm to invest that wisely in whether it's accessible investments like um, housing, shares, things like that, where I can see growth in my money working for me with the end goal that that would be accumulated to go down the route of owning my own farm. So I do those because owning your own house is quite easy 
in terms of in a, in a regional centre when you ne- only need kind of a 10% deposit to own a residential house. Yes, you've got to save up for it, but you're not buying a $5 million farm. You're buying a $400,000 family home in a, in a regional centre. I really like regional centres because, you know, if you find one with a strong rental yield, it, it kind of does the job for you. I'm just looking at ways that I can put money into different places for the moment. Uh, that will then eventually be able to be sold and, and, and accumulated to then go into the big picture, which is that farming entity. I also look at things that are quite liquid, where if I desperately need cash, I can kind of quickly withdraw it out. Mitch is working on building a property portfolio that includes his leased country and two residential investment properties. Each brings in an income stream that not only helps build his wealth, but also makes him look more attractive to the banks. Because Mitch believes it's never too early to start financial conversations, and he's built a strong support network of bankers and mortgage brokers and solicitors that simplify the process for him. I really went after people that were recommended to me from really trusted sources. So, you know, my parents that have dealt with mortgage brokers before, like for me it was an unknown. But, you know, I went went and saw the one that they used, spoke to other people that have used either similar or, or different people and went and had kind of introductory conversations with them. It wasn't really with the idea of linking up with them. It was more just, am I going to get along with you? And, you know, from there, I already knew if they had kind of a good background in, in terms of being able to find deals and things like that. But it was more for me is, can I get along with you? Would, would you be someone that I'd go grab a beer with at the pub? And they're the kind of people that I like to have on my camp. If you have that connection where you know you've got a good element of trust and you've got a really good relationship, is I think that only does wonders for you. So when I first started approaching banks and mortgage brokers, I really wanted to give them the full detail of what I was trying to achieve because that way they know the the reasons why we're going on the different steps. I think people get worried about giving banks too much info, but I think you can't give them enough. They see a huge amount of different businesses come through their door that they help in all different commercial ways. So if I can say, look, this is where I want to be, they're able to provide that advice saying, well, we've seen it work really well this way. Um, we've seen it kind of not work so well this way. That's the way you want to go, but there's, there's a lot of problems that way. So I'm really just trying to get them to understand what I want to achieve and then that way they can help me the best way with the programs and facilities that they have in place. Right now, Mitch is feeling pretty good about his CV. He's worked hard to gain on-farm skills and business experience, his professional network is strong, and his financial strategy is unfolding according to plan. It's not a race, just a slow process of getting your ducks in a row. It doesn't bother me that it might be 10 years, 20 years, or happen tomorrow. For me, the investment's got to be right. It's got to feel right. It's got to stack up. And I'm happy to wait for that perfect farm that ticks all those boxes because it will come around. Um, but for me, it's really about preparing for that. So is getting myself in a situation that when that perfect farm does come up on the market, that I know it, I can go for it, and I've got that comfort level around that. As long as I'm still you know, able to, to farm myself through these you know, leasing and adjusting arrangements, then I don't feel like I'm missing out too much. I obviously want to own my own farm and be able to increase its value and farm it properly as well, but I don't have a timeline per se. 
when I finally get to a point where I'm able to purchase the farm, it's going to be really around for me is having the stock side ready to go, which would be from all the different leases that we've got. I want to make sure that as soon as we buy farm, that I've immediately got my ability to actually kind of pay off the farm with stock that we would have on hand. The other part is really kind of uh, the serviceability, like where is that going to come from? You know, if I lose the leases because I want to, you know, run run my farm that I own, do I lose that income? How is that going to be, you know, I suppose substituted from other ways? So for me, it's really the process of going from, you know, leasing and adjusting a farm to owning a farm is quite a, a very different dynamic and needs to be figured out quite early. So in terms of the process, I wouldn't be buying a farm until I knew I had security in my, in my stocking, um, security in my um, income coming in for serviceability so that I've got full confidence in, in actually going out and buying the farm. I've got three whiteboards in my office that have got different things written all over it with you know short-term goals, long-term goals and what's got to happen this week. Every year where I buy you know, my new page-a-day diary, the front page has always got the things that I do want to have done that year that I get to tick off, which is pretty fun when you get to tick them off as you go along. But it's also, I think... If you believe it, you're going to get reminded every time you wake up in the morning as well. Sometimes I know that I definitely get bogged down just the stuff that has to happen today um, and lose sight sometimes of what the purpose and the reason for it all is. But, you know, going into my office and looking at that whiteboard and seeing those short-term and long-term things bring me back to purpose, reminding you of why you're doing it and, you know, what, what it's all for. Over the course of this series, we're going to hear from farmers all over New South Wales, people at all ages and stages with different strategies for landing their dream farm. I'm also going to be checking in with experts like Ag Financial Advisor Brad Sewell. For a young person who isn't coming from a farming background where they're going to inherit, it is difficult to get a start, but you know, I've got plenty of clients who've done it. Really, it comes down to having a really strong work ethic which in turn helps you generate income and founder of cultivate farms sam marwood to me when i see the stats of farmers getting older i feel like it's a great opportunity for the next generation that equals opportunity from a purely business mind set if if the business owners are getting older that means they'll be needing to exit soon so be motivated as an aspiring farmer that there will be opportunities out there you've just got to be ready In the next episode of Propagate... I think we ordered the potatoes online and hundreds of kilos turned up, so we planted them all by hand on the wettest day of the year and we now know that that's not when you should plant (laughs) potatoes. We marketed online and sold this experience of digging your own potatoes for $5 a head and everyone got to walk away with a little bag of potatoes. But, uh, yeah, 4,000 people turned up and... Yeah, that we we used the profit from that to buy our chicken caravan and off we went. Every episode of Season 3 is already available right now. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Propagate is brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks for listening.